Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? All right, you guys, uh, great to be here. For those of you guys who have been around for a while, you've, uh, I've, I've had the privilege of being up here a couple times, and it's just always such an honor and a joy. So tonight, I want to say, uh, you know, if I asked you to name the most important thing in your life besides your relationship with Jesus and your family, what would it be? The most important thing besides your relationship with Jesus and your family. Some of you might say it's your job. Uh, maybe you have a great education. Uh, some of you, maybe it's your 401k. Maybe some of you got a great pet that is the most important thing. I would argue that outside of your family and your relationship with Jesus, the most important thing that you have is your character. John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach, said this about the importance of character. He said, be more concerned about your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are, but your reputation is merely what others think you are. Billy Graham said this. He said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, everything is lost. As I read and studied these two chapters tonight, there was one distinguishing thing that stood out about the difference between Abram and Lot. And as I looked at it more and more, I kept seeing this difference in character. Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book called Integrity, in which he defines character as the ability to meet the demands of reality. The good news, Dr. Cloud says, is that character can change and grow. That's the exciting part. People grow and people change when the right experiences are brought to the person and they have the right response in those experiences. So character can grow and develop. I think the part of why this concept resonated so much with me about Abraham's character and Lot's character is because this is what Heart of a Man is all about. Let me share with you the mission statement of Heart of a Man. It says, building men into character-driven, committed disciples of Jesus, equipped to forge healthy, life-giving relationships at home, at work, and in their communities. Let me read that again. Building men into character-driven, committed disciples of Jesus, equipped to forge healthy, life-giving relationships at home, at work, and in their communities. This lesson tonight, guys, is a case study in Heart of a Man's mission statement because you see a man, Abram, who fails at dealing with the demands of life in our previous study two weeks ago. But he learns from that. And as a result, he grows into a man of character who forges a healthy relationship and life-giving relationships. So would you guys join me in prayer and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we, we read about Abram and it says that you appeared to him and we're like, oh man, what would that be like if Abram, if God appeared to me? And yet I think I read that you appeared to Abram five times. And you give us your word every day. Every day, Lord, you give us your word and you appear to us through your word. So God, I just pray that as we open your word tonight, I pray that we can learn. I pray that we can see you. I pray that that you would just 
speak through me, get me out of the way, and just say something to these guys that you need them to hear, Lord, so that when we go out of here tonight, we can be um, character-driven and committed disciples of Jesus, and that we can forge healthy, life-giving relationships with the people around us. And so I just pray that tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so let's jump in. So the first character trait we see in Abram appears early in the verses of chapter 13, and that's when we see him call on the name of the Lord. Now, as followers of Jesus, we may glance at that and we may blow right past it, but when you consider the context, it reveals something more profound about Abraham and his relationship with God. Abram has not only come out of Egypt with his life and his wife intact after lying about it, but he comes out with great wealth as well. And while this likely sounds great to all of us in this room, the reality is wealth can often be a deterrent to living fully committed to God. Consider this, the Bible references money and possessions over 2,000 times, 2,000 times. Jesus says more, or that's more, the 2,000 times is more than Jesus talked about love and more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. In explaining the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus said that the seed that was sown among the thorns is like the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The problem Abram faced is a problem that many of us face in this room tonight, even those who don't consider themselves wealthy. And that is this, we live in so much comfort and material blessing that we are tempted to lose sight of our dependence on God. A few years ago, a good friend of ours, Francis Sinyanjo from Uganda, came to visit us. And he said something that has never left me. He said this. He said, you know what? You guys don't need God in America. He said, you don't struggle for anything here in America. You have all the comforts you need and therefore, you have no true dependency on God. Remember that, Bill? He told us that, right? He said, you don't need God here. Now, I realize that is a relative statement. We all have struggles we are going through, but the principle remains the same. The more wealth that we have, the greater our temptation is to find our comfort, our hope, our security, and our peace in that wealth. Maybe for you, the temptation to forget your need about Jesus doesn't come from your wealth. Maybe it comes from your talents and the praise you get at work for what a great job you do. Maybe it comes from a false sense of security because you grew up in a family of believers, you've gone to church your whole life, you went to Christian school, you check all the boxes that says, I'm a Christian. Whatever the situation may be, we can all fall into temptation of forgetting our need for Jesus. And yet Abraham remind us, reminds us that no matter how much stuff we have, the character of a true Christ follower, the character of a true Christ follower has its foundation in calling on the name of the Lord. In fact, I would say that a Christian can no more survive or grow without prayer than a human being can survive without oxygen. So what is it in your life that gives you a false sense of comfort and peace and distracts you from calling on Jesus. Abram had the wealth to go anywhere he wanted to, but he was so committed to calling on the name of God that he traveled all the way back to the place where he first 
made an altar of the Lord. He wanted to go back to the very place. That's how committed he was. What's your level of commitment to spending intentional time with the Lord each day? Are you that committed? And what will you change in your daily routine starting tomorrow to make calling on the name of the Lord your number one priority? Now, not only does wealth tempt us to lose sight of our reliance on God, it can also lead to tension in our relationships with other people. For most of us, that tension likely comes in the form of jealousy, pride, greed, or envy. But in the case of Abraham and Lot, it, it is the fact that their wealth was so great that the land couldn't support the both of them. And this led to fighting between their herdsmen. It is here where we observe another great characteristic of Abraham, and that is his willingness to approach Lot in the midst of conflict. There's conflict, and Abram steps into it. Like me, many of you may bristle at the thought of dealing with conflict. I, think, I don't think anyone really loves conflict, but it's part of the world we live in, and thus we must grow in our ability to deal with it. And while you may be sitting there considering is handling conflict really a character trait? Consider what happens when conflict is avoided. The end result is usually a broken relationship due to disappointment, frustration, resentment, or anger. Jesus was in conflict with the Pharisees and Sadducees throughout his ministry, but he never avoided them or shied away from dealing with the conflict when it arose. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. And his ultimate hope was that they would recognize him as the true Messiah and put their faith and trust in him. The purpose wasn't to win an argument or to prove that he was right. The purpose was to reveal truth and show loving kindness. We see that same thing in Abram tonight. He doesn't approach Lot out of anger, disappointment, or resentment. He approaches him because he loves him and he wants to maintain a relationship with him. That's why he comes to him and says, what are we gonna do? Many of you may not know that years ago, although he just indicated I've known him for years, but many of you may not know that years ago, uh, I left uh, my job as a financial planner to go work for Bill at Packmore. Uh, and I did that because we started doing some work in Africa and we went to Africa to create jobs and then bring the gospel uh, through, uh, through our work there. And after a few years, uh, we, uh, the work in Africa hadn't gone as well as we had hoped. And, uh, and Bill was gracious to me, and uh, he tried to find different jobs for me within Packmore um, as, we, as we slowed down our work in Africa. But no matter where he put me, uh, the reality is it just it didn't feel quite right to me. And yet, you know, I was, uh, I was struggling, but the reality is I was avoiding what I knew was going to be a difficult conversation with Bill. And then Bill stepped up. It was Good Friday, 2017. I still remember the day. And I had set up a meeting that morning with Bill to discuss something uh, in a class that I was taking at the time. And about five minutes into our conversation, Bill graciously said, he said, you know, Scotty, we gave Africa a good try, but it's not working. And we both know we need to figure out something different from here. In fact, he recognized that I was struggling and, I was, and, and he was giving me the freedom to go do something else and to find something that was a better fit for me. Bill's willingness to have that difficult conversation that day allowed me to change trajectory, and I often reflect on how thankful I am for your willingness to have that conversation. 
But similar to Abraham, he approached it with love and I knew that he had my interest at heart. Guys, that's what dealing with conflict looks like. It's putting the other person ahead of your interests. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also at the interests of other. And Proverbs 15, 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Abram shows us a man of character doesn't avoid conflict. He just approaches it with the interests of the other person in mind. So here's my question, guys. What conversation with a friend, a coworker, a child, your wife, are you avoiding tonight? Has avoiding that conversation made the relationship better or worse? And how bad does the pain have to get before you will have the courage and the character to step into the conflict and have a conversation? For some of you, I had a feeling this may be your takeaway tonight because you know somebody's name popped in your mind that you need to have a conversation with. So here's my challenge. Write the name down and have the conversation, but don't say, oh, I'll do it this week or I'll do it next week. Have it tomorrow. Because the longer we avoid conflict, the easier it is, is just to keep putting it off. So Abram not only approaches Lot regarding the conflict, but he does so with two beautiful character qualities of humility and weakness. It's beautiful, guys. Abram was Lot's thing, senior. Think about this. Abram had done Lot a favor by taking him with him when Lot's dad had, had died. All of Lot's wealth came from being connected to Abram. Abram could have cho chosen where he wanted to live and let Lot find, go, somewhere, go find somewhere else. After all, God made the promise to who? He made the promise to Abram, not to Lot. But that is not what Abram does. Instead, he approaches Lot in humility and with great meekness. He says, separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I will take the right. Or if you take the right, I will take the left. We often hear that word meekness and we cringe because our culture has come to associate it with weakness. But that's not what meekness is, guys. Meekness is strength under control. That's what meekness is. It is strength under control. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. It is in this moment that we see this incredible maturity in Abraham. Remember in the last chapter, he fled the promised land due to a famine and he lied about his wife being his sister to protect himself. Now here he is giving his nephew Lot and he's saying, you choose, dude. You go pick whatever you want. You can have it. I don't care. He trusts God and he wants to avoid any animosity and trouble with Lot. His character allowed him to be humble and meek when he could have been proud and forceful. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Is that not what Abram's doing? It's like, he just, it's like Paul just wrote about the story of Abram with Lot. And Jesus said this about himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and lowly. 
Some places it says meek, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. So if you want to be like Jesus, sometimes we need to be gentle and lowly in heart. So what situation in your life is God calling you to approach with humility and meekness rather than pride and aggression? Because that's our natural bent is pride and aggression. But we see here tonight that often humility and meekness is a better approach. So, so far in our chapter in the, or in our character study of Abraham, we've seen a man who calls on God, who steps into conflict for the sake of brotherly love. He shows meekness and humility and he trusts in God's promises and provision. By contrast, we see in verse 10, the character of Lot and how he responds to Abraham's kindness. Lot should have declined Abraham's offer and deferred to his uncle. He should have allowed Abram to choose first and settled for whatever is left, but that's not what he does. Instead, we read in verse 10 that Lot lifted up his eyes He lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Lot chose what looked to be a life of prosperity, ease, and privilege because he chose with his eyes. He chose with his eyes. He should have hit his knees in prayer. That's what he should have done. He should have got on his knees in prayers, but instead he lifted up his eyes and he made a visual decision, not a spiritual decision. Big difference. Material prosperity should never be sought after at the cost of spiritual decay. Material prosperity should never be sought after at the cost of spiritual decay. I know that sounds obvious, but if we analyze our decisions, think about the decisions you make, I think we too often teeter on the brink of disaster. We try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God just like Lot. That's how we live in America most of the time. Lot doesn't see beyond what's on the surface. He doesn't think about the impact this decision is going to have on him or his family. To put it in today's terms, Lot sees dollar signs. That's all he sees. He sees dollar signs. He doesn't see the character of the people in the land he was choosing or consider the influence that they would have on him. I don't know what decisions you are in the midst of making tonight, But let this story, let this story inspire and maybe even scare you a little bit into thinking about what truly matters as you make those decisions. You know, guys, when I first started working on this lesson, I thought, you know, maybe it'd be helpful to share some ideas and tips about how we make better decisions, right? We like decision making is hard. So maybe we need some tips on that. But you know what? As I sat there and I thought about it, first of all, you guys can go out there and get some podcasts if you want some tips on decision makings. But the other thing is I thought, you guys know how to make good decisions. I firmly believe that. I think every one of you in here knows how to make a good decision. You know what you need to do. You need to pray. You need to read God's word. You need to seek godly counsel. And you need to pray some more. Like those are real critical elements of good decision making. So the real question then is, Are you doing that or not? Is that how you're making decisions or not? Because I think the answer to that question reveals a lot about our character and the condition of our heart. Because we know what to do, and so the question is, are we letting our heart follow what we know we're supposed to do? This story shows a stark contrast between the heart of Abraham and the heart of Lot. 
Whether our actions align more with Abraham or with Lot should be a sober indicator as to where our own heart is tonight. As we have seen, Abraham's heart is full of humility. He's worshiping the Lord. He's focused on others. He's trusting in God's promises. What do we see in Lot's heart? We see pride. We see greed. We don't see any indication of him worshiping God. He's focused on himself, his possessions, and making life easy. Now, before I go any further, let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with choosing green pastures. It was not sinful in and of itself for Lot to choose the Jordan Valley. Let's not fool ourselves, all right, guys? We live in the Jordan Valley. I know we have different levels of wealth. We live in different houses. We drive different cars. But in comparison to the rest of the world, we were born in and most of us have chosen to stay in the Jordan Valley. The question we have to constantly be asking ourselves, the questions we need to look at are, why am I choosing these things and how are they impacting my heart and my relationships with Jesus? I wanna share a couple of verses out of Ecclesiastes 5 that I think might help us see this is a heart issue and not an issue about choosing wealth and prosperity versus poverty and sacrifice. In verse 10 of chapter five, Solomon writes this. He says, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This too is vanity. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. But only a few verses later, he concludes the chapter by saying this. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. So one verse, if you love money, you'll never be satisfied. The next verse is God gives you wealth and possessions and power to enjoy that, and it's a gift from him. And is choosing the Jordan Valley bad? Is money bad? No. We never read in scripture that money is bad. We like, likely all know the verse in 1 Timothy 6.10 that often gets misquoted. The verse doesn't say that money is evil. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money. And it is through this evil that some have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. I think you get my point. It's not the stuff you have, the car you drive, or the house you live in, the number of digits in your salary, or maybe even where you live that matters. Those things are important, but they are important to the extent that they have become an idol or they are pulling you away from Jesus. That's when they become really important. God's desire, God desires our heart more than worrying about where you live. He desires your heart. That's what he wants. And when our heart is set on him, then he can use us wherever we live. And guess what? I don't care where you live. If your heart isn't set on God, you're not going to be able to be used by God. So does where you live matter or does your heart matter? I would argue that your heart matters. This is a heart issue. It's not a choosing the Jordan Valley issue. So how do we know where our heart is? How do we know where our heart is? Well, as luck would have it, if you hypothetically believed in luck, we're given an answer in chapter 14. 
Because it is here where we see Abram's heart once again on display through his generosity. You know the story. Lot was taken captive by the four kings that come down from invaded the land of Sodom. Abram finds out, he goes up and he, and he rescues. He puts his own life on the line. He displays his character once again by putting his life on the line to rescue and to restore his brother, his nephew. And as they return with the spoils of their victory, they are met by Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which was Jerusalem. And it is here where we see that Abram's heart is fully trusting the promises of God. No longer does he devise his own plan for survival. Instead, he acknowledges Melchizedek as a representative of God, as a priest of God, God most high, and he joyfully gives him a tenth of everything. And not only does he give Melchizedek a tenth of everything, but he refuses to keep for himself any of the rest of the goods that they had taken in the battle. Abram's generosity to Melchizedek is rooted in his recognition that God is the owner of it all, and he is merely returning to the Lord that which was his to begin with. He's not free to be generous because he has all this wealth, guys, but he recognizes that it is God's to begin with, and that's why he's free to be generous. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12 Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over it all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to it all. Men, the character of a true follower of Jesus is marked by generosity, not because we are commanded to be generous, but because we get to be generous. Guys, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And the something he wants is for you to be free from the love of money like Abraham was, and it is as counter as it may seem, that freedom comes by giving it away rather than holding on to it. Consider the words of Jesus in, in Luke 12, starting in verse 15. And this is Jesus. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have repaired, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Abram could have built bigger barns, guys. He could have. He could have built bigger barns, but he didn't. He gave away the best land. He was willing to give up his life and he was rich toward God and others. Do you want a litmus test on your heart tonight? 
Examine your bank account and your calendar and determine how generous you are with what God has entrusted to you. So what is the one thing that you can do this week to be more generous towards God? Guys, generosity is a muscle. The more we uh, exercise it, the stronger it gets, and the more joy we receive from being generous. I want to be clear, guys. I don't stand up here tonight as somebody who's got this all figured out. I stand up here as someone who was reminded and convicted by this lesson um, that my heart is broken too, and I'm working on this stuff as well. But it doesn't mean that we don't need to work on it together. This stuff is here for us to learn from. The content of our heart is displayed through the character with which we live. The content of our heart is displayed through the character with which we live. Romans 4.4 says, Abram believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This lesson clearly displays the character and action of a man who believes in God. What does your character say about your heart? And what kind of men will we be? Guys, tonight's lesson should challenge and inspire us to be character-driven, committed disciples of Jesus equipped to forge healthy, life-giving relationships at home, at work, and in our communities. And if we do that, guys, we'll start to change the world around us, and you'll watch how God can work through us. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, my heart is ugly sometimes, Lord, you know that. But God, I want my heart to be different, and I believe that the guys sitting in these chairs tonight, they want their heart to be different too. We want our hearts to be focused on you so that we can be men of character and that we can love the people around us and, and be generous and honor you with what you give us, Lord. So I pray that you would empower these men as they look, go out, Lord. In our flesh, we will fail, but by your Holy Spirit, we can honor you, Lord. And so God, I pray that you will anoint these men with your Holy Spirit tonight and as they go about their day tomorrow, God, would you just bless them and would they be just examples for you in this world we so desperately need. God, we're here. We wanna honor you. We love you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.